On this week's show, we're going to go into episode four of the Summer Sales Series, which is Sales Skills. Welcome to Cracking the Code, the show that helps you overcome the challenges you face every day in contracting and keeps you on the cutting edge of emerging trends and best practices. Welcome to the audio version of Cracking the Code. Now, this was originally a video show, so if you hear us talking about something related to an image or any other visual element, you can see what we're talking about by going over to egia.org show and see what we're doing there and Cracking the Code. Thanks for listening. Let's get started. You know, folks, here's the reality. In the summertime, we all get really busy, and that's great because you start selling more systems, right? And very often, most of the time, we see close rates go up pretty dramatically. The problem is sometimes if the, cl the close rate goes higher because we're so busy, oftentimes our average ticket can go down and you end up losing a lot of revenue that you should be making sure you lock up. So I want to share this video with you. It talks about getting back to some of the basics about proactively dealing with objections so you can maintain your average ticket in the summertime just like you do in the other parts of the year. You want to maintain that high average close rate but also a high average ticket. I want to talk to you today about the foundations of consistency selling. Really consistency selling, the foundation on which everything is built on is what I call the sales hallway. This represents the sales hallway. This is you and these are your prospects. The objective for us is that we have to take our prospects and walk them down the sales hallway. The sales hallway is simply a metaphor for the sales process. During the course of this process, you're going to have a series of activities that you engage in. Some of them are universal to sales, like building a relationship, investigating the problems, solving the problems, you know, closing the deal, etc. Some of them will be very specific to your industry, right? But the bottom line is, as you walk your customer down through the sales hallway, they are going to have a series of questions. They're going to have questions about your company. They're going to have questions about your products, about your services, about your guarantees, about your previous customers and referrals. Their job is to get as much information as they possibly can. So as you're walking down the hallway, everything's going great. It all starts out happy and smiles. Everybody's, you know, hunky-dory. Everybody's kumbaya. And we're going to the sales process. But there comes a time in the sales process where the prospect gets all the information they need especially what they consider to be the most important piece of information, which is the price. And then once your customer gets the price, then their face goes from this, these happy smiling faces, it goes to this, right? They freak out like, whoa, you know, because it's always more expensive than they think. Once your customer, maybe they're really going to be surprised like that. Once your customer gets that final piece of information, which is the price, they are going to do the most natural thing on the planet, and that is to postpone the pain of making a purchasing decision. I mean, there's tons of research that demonstrates that there's an emotional reaction when we spend money. It actually hurts our brain emotionally the same way any emotional pain hurts us. So it's very natural for prospects when they get the price, they become shocked that they want to postpone the pain of making that purchase. So what do they do? Well, during the course of the process, it's very, very common for your prospects to leave little escape hatches in the sales hallway. That's what these are right here. They're little escape routes, what I call doors, to get out of the sales hallway. Now, stop and think about what the words are that your prospects use every single day to get out of the sales hallway to postpone the purchasing decision. You hear them every day. Number one, you'll hear something like, well, I want to think about it, right? 
Number two, it might be your price is too high. Number three is what I call three bids, basically talking to one of your competitors or two of your competitors. So we're just going to call that three bids. And then sometimes you're going to have something very unique uh, to your industry, right? But these three, I want to think about it, price, I want to talk to a competitor, and then whatever your specific situation is, these are all the things that people bring up to get out of the sales hallway. So when you get right here and you think everything's fine, that's you, I don't know if you can see it there, but you're still smiling, you're happy, and you say, hey, Mr. Customer, you know, can we do the deal? You know, will you trust me with the project? Will you trust me with the business? They're gonna bring up one of these excuses to get out of the hallway. All of a sudden, everything seems like it's going fine, and they're gonna say, oh, that seems great, you're a great company, but you know, we have to think about it. Boom, they're out of the sales hallway. Or, you know, that sounds great, but I really don't need life insurance. Boom, they're out of the, they're out of the hallway. Uh, that sounds great, but I got one of your competitors tomorrow I'm talking to. Boom, I gotta get other, other bids, right? Or, that sounds great, but your price is too high. The bottom line is, is that these are built-in, uh, very well-rehearsed scripts that the prospect has to get out of the sales hallway. Now, traditional sales, and I'm a huge fan of traditional sales, but what traditional sales teaches us is that you go through your presentation, you get to this final door if you can, and you ask for the business. You ask for the order, right? A specific request for the business. And then what happens in that situation is that the prospects start bringing up these various reasons why they can't make a decision. And again, traditional sales teaches us when they raise those objections, we come back with rebuttals. When they raise another objection, we come back with another rebuttal. Rejection, objection, rebuttal, objection, rebuttal. Next thing you know, it looks like a tennis match, right? It looks like Venus Williams going back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And it's kind of an old school kind of way to sales because here's the thing. Think about this. Think about when is the sales process, when's the most stressful moment in the sales process? Here in the beginning when we're all friends or down here when we start talking about asking for money. Obviously, the tensions are going to be higher at the end when you start take, talking about the money. Sometimes we can get nervous. Uh, our prospects get stressed out because people don't like to spend money. So if people are stressed out and they're very defensive, that seems like a very inappropriate time to try to convince them they don't need to think about it, they don't need a cheaper price, or they don't need to talk to my comp competition. So what happens, we are up here, they bring up these objections because they've never been mentioned before, and then we try to sneak back down the hallway and close these doors. We try to come back in the hallway and close the doors. Well, guess what? It's too late. Because once you get to the end, your prospect is on DEFCON 1, high alert, super high defenses, right? They know what you're doing now. So the key to this whole process, consistency selling, is to deal with these objections before the prospect ever brings them up. The reality is, as I'm walking down the hallway, I'm going to close these doors as I'm walking by them. And the way I'm going to close them is by having very honest, very open and candid conversations about these issues. I mean, stop and think about this, for example. Price is a really good example. It's very common that your prospect's going to talk to you about price. We want a cheaper price, somebody else has a cheaper price, whatever it is. But stop and think about this. When has it ever worked out for anybody to buy the cheapest of anything? Rarely, if ever, right? People fundamentally, inherently know it doesn't really make sense to buy the cheapest of anything. Yet they will tell you they want a cheaper price in this particular situation. They want you to believe that this is the one time they're going to buy the cheapest option. They're not going to. 
And so if we have a very honest conversation about price and we use third-party verification and third-party sources to prove that price is not the most important factor in making the decision, you can close that door proactively. In another video, I'm actually gonna show you exactly how to do that. For the time being though, I just want you to think about conceptually that you have to close these doors as you walk past them. Then, and only then, when you get down to the end, then you ask for the order. Now, does it mean that your prospects are never gonna sneak out of one of those doors? Of course not, right? They're gonna go down there with a crowbar, they're gonna bust it open and sneak out anyway, right? But what it does, it reduces the number of times that happens. It makes it more difficult for your prospect to start talking about a cheap price when they get here if a half an hour earlier they told you that price is not the most important consideration. So the key in sales, the key in consistency selling is to lay the groundwork, right? To lay the foundation, do the hard work up front. You know, old school sales, the old ABCs of selling, right? Think Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, that kind of stuff. They used to teach us the sales pyramid and the sales pyramid looked like this, right? And basically you spent 10% of your time you know, acting like you're interested in them, and 90% of your time closing, closing, closing. Well, modern day sales is different, right? Your consumers are more sophisticated than ever. And so now that whole pyramid has kind of been turned on its head. We gotta spend 90% of our time building relationship, uh, building value, et cetera, and then only 10% of our time goes to closing. And there, there tends to be less what I call closing conflict, if we take the time. Taking the time to build the relationship, investigate the problems, close the doors, all of those things first. Now, I want you to think about it this way. Your customers, your prospective customers, in many cases, they're like your young children. If you've ever had a young child that wakes up in the middle of the night and they get frightened by something they see in the closet. Now, really, you know it's just a pile of dirty clothes or a teddy bear or something, but they see the reflection from the street light through the window and that teddy bear is little, you know, button eyes, and they think it's a monster. And so at two o'clock in the morning, they wake up, mommy, daddy, there's a monster in the closet, right? Now, when your child gets scared, and you come into their room at two o'clock in the morning, do you run in the room and try to frighten them even more? Do you come in and start saying, run for your life before it eats you, go, 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 right? No, you try to calm your kid down, right? You turn the lights on, you walk over to the, the, the bedroom door, the closet door, and you open that door, all the way, you turn the light on in the closet and you show your child there's nothing to be afraid of. Once your child, once your little girl, little boy is convinced there's nothing to be afraid of, you turn the light off, you close the closet door and you put them back to bed. Well, listen, that's the same way I'm gonna treat my prospect, right? Because when they're walking down that hallway, in their mind, there are monsters behind these doors, things to be afraid of. Making a decision in their estimation often is something to be afraid of. So what we gotta do is to treat them the same way we treat our kids. We take them by the hand, and we're gonna have an honest conversation about these issues. I'm gonna take my prospect by the hand, and I'm gonna walk them over to the three bid door. Mr. and Mrs. Prospect, you're probably thinking about talking to a couple of my competitors about this purchase. Oh yeah, yeah, we're gonna talk to three companies. We're gonna have an honest, open conversation about competitive bids. We're gonna take the closet door, open it all the way, and as my papa used to say, we're gonna shine some light on the subject. We're gonna have an honest, transparent conversation about three bids and my competitors. You know, your customers don't really need three bids. They get three bids because that's what their grandfather and their father told them. What your customer really needs, your prospective customer, is they need you. They need one company who will have their back if there's a problem after the purchase. That's what they're really trying to do. I mean, why do you get people three bids? They get three bids because they don't wanna get ripped off. Your job is to make sure they understand that your company will take care of them come hell or high water and they don't have to worry about getting ripped off. 
they're going to be treated fairly and honestly. So you got to have that open, honest conversation. At the end of that conversation, you're going to ask your prospect a question. Mr. and Mrs. Prospect, would you agree that if you had, you know, three companies over here who would tell you anything to get their hands on your money, or you had my company over here that's a track record of taking care of customers and fulfilling their promises, which of those companies would you prefer? And when you tell the stories I'm going to teach you to tell, they're going to say, well, of course, I'd want the company that takes care of their customers. Boom. In that moment, I just closed that door. It becomes much more difficult for them now to try to sneak out of it later. I'm then going to take them by the hand and walk over to the price door. Mr. and Mrs. Prospect, you're probably thinking you want a cheap price. Let's have an honest, open conversation, a transparent conversation about cheap prices and low quality. I'm going to open that door all the way, turn the light on. We're going to have an honest conversation about price. When I'm convinced that my prospect is convinced that price is not the most important issue, I'm going to turn the light off and I'm going to close the door. I'm going to go systematically, step by step, and do that with every objection that I know is coming. I mean, stop and think about it. You sell whatever you sell every single day. Your customers buy it every now and then. You know what the objections are. You know what they're going to say before they even know. You should always be prepared. You should never be caught flat-footed. So the whole concept of consistency selling is to identify what the objections are before you ever go on a sales call. And as you walk down that hallway, you're going to have conversations, open, honest conversations. You're going to tell some stories and ask some questions, and you're going to close those doors proactively. Then, and only then, you're going to go in and ask for the order. Now again, as I mentioned earlier, that doesn't mean some people aren't going to sneak back in here and pry that door open and exit. What it means is that it's more difficult for them to do that, and it begins to happen less and less frequently. I mean, stop and think about it. If you've got a closing rate of, say, 40% on whatever you sell, that means you're losing 6 of 10 if you're getting 4 of 10. My point here is that you don't have to have this work 10 out of 10 times. You just have to have it work once or twice on the 6 you're losing. You see, you're not going to stop getting the 4 out of 10 you're getting now. You're not going to stop you know, getting those deals. You're not going to forget how to sell those people. But there's 6 out of 10 you're not getting. Consistency selling will help you get one or two of the six you're losing. And when you stop and think about it, if you've got a 40% close rate, and you get two of the six you're losing, and you go to 60% close rate, that's a 50% increase. That's a 50% raise. That means if you're making 200 grand this year, you'll make 300 grand next year. The reality is it's the, the, the little improvements, the things we're going to do on a consistent basis that improve our close rates. Using the sales hallway metaphor, is a very simple way to understand the sales process. You've got to make sure and close all the doors, address all the issues before your prospect ever brings them up. But I want you to think about this right now. Think about the sales hallway, you know, like conceptually. Think about closing those doors and reducing the closing conflict at the end. That, my friends, is the basis of consistency selling. Now, when you're out there in the summertime, you're super busy. The tendency is when a homeowner says, hey, can you do it for a little bit cheaper? And you turn around and say, hey, well, can we do it tomorrow? And they say, yes. We end up dropping the price very quickly. I want to share with you a quick video that illustrates the expectation that people have sometimes that you're going to drop your price. And what you've got to do is learn how to hold your margins and not drop the price because there's a whole group of people out there that will say yes to you even if you don't drop the price. So understand, there's the value, there's the cheat, there's the undecided. And you don't want to be quick just to drop your price. Again, for this person, you don't have to. And for this person, you may not have to. You have to find out. Here's the thing. People are in way too big of hurries uh, to drop their prices. I see it all the time, not just in our industry, but in every industry. I remember a few years ago, 
I was down in the southern part of uh, Colorado and I was driving back home. It was about four or five in the afternoon and uh, we had our first big blizzard of the year was coming in. It was like in November or something like that. And I'm driving down the highway uh, trying to get home and my son calls me from college. And he says, Dad, he goes, I got to get snow tires uh, on this car. We've got this blizzard move uh, coming in. So I said, well, go to the tire store and call me when you get there. He goes to the tire store. He calls me when he gets there and puts me on the phone with the, you know, the tire store guy. And uh, the guy says to me, Mr. Long, I've got your son here. He needs some, some new tires. I said, yes, he needs snow tires on that car. I said, what I need to know from you is that he will not leave your you know, store without the new snow tires. I don't want him leaving here and driving in this snow and this ice you know, without good snow tires. The guy from the tire store says, Mr. Long, don't worry about it. If we got to stay here till midnight, we're going to make sure everybody here that's in line is going to get their tires tonight. Now, I'm a value-based consumer, so that's what I need to hear. Plus, it's a pretty important decision, right? It's snow tires, and it's my kid, so I want to make the right decision. So once I was convinced they would do a good job, they would make sure he got his tires, I said, what are my options? Well, the guy gives me the traditional good, better, best. We got your cheap snow tires. We got your mid-range snow tires. Of course, we got your, you know, really, really high-end uh, great snow tires. Again, I'm the value-based guy, so I'm like, give me the best you got. So he runs some numbers in his calculator. He comes up, it's like a thousand bucks for the snow tires, the guarantees, the warranties, and the, you know, the balance, and all that stuff, right? I buy the whole package as always, right? I mean, I'm a late, I'm so easy to sell to. So he gives me the number, this thousand bucks. And I said, hold on for a second. I reach in, I get my billfold out, I pull out my credit card. I got the phone in my ear, I'm driving, and I got the credit card in my, uh, in my fingers, right? Fixing to read the number. But just before I go to read the number, there's a guy that was working for me sitting next to me. And he says to me, just before I read the credit card number, he said, ask the guy for a discount. I'm like, I don't care about a discount. I'm just trying to get some snow tires for my kid. He said, just ask him for a discount. See what he says, right? So instead of reading the guy the credit card number, all I said in the phone, this is all I said. I said, dude, that sounds a little steep. That's all I said. Dude, that sounds a little steep. Without uttering as much as one syllable, I hear the guy going with his calculator again. He comes back on the phone and he drops the price $200, 20%, because I said, dude, that sounds a little steep, right? Now listen, on a set of snow tires, maybe you know, a thousand bucks for snow tires, there's five or 600 bucks of gross margin. This dude drops the price, 40% of the gross margin, that 200 bucks is 40% of the gross margin because I said, dude, that sounds a little steep. Now here's the crazy thing. This guy drops the price on a set of snow tires in the middle of a blizzard. It's pure insanity, right? So you have to be willing to probe a little bit. Don't drop the price too quickly. I mean, what do you suppose I would have said if the guy said, well, sir, I understand it may seem a little expensive, but you know, it's, we're gonna be here till midnight tonight taking care of our customers. If you wanna come back next summer when the weather's better, probably we can cut you a deal on some snow tires. What do you think I would have said? You know, 4127, I had the credit card in my hand. So you can't be in too big a hurry to drop the price. People do it all the time, but I'm going to show you how to kind of hold your mustard a little bit and probe and find out, is this really a price objection, which is what this guy's going to have, or is this just, you know, asking out of the habit of asking from this guy or this guy, and that you don't have to drop the price for. Bottom line, folks, it's not about the price, it's about the value, right? We always hear the value, 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 sell the value. Well, listen, when you're talking about value, what you're really talking about is relative perceived value. We talk about it being relative, which means it depends on the situation, and perceived means that people see the value. In other words, if I measure the house and do a load calculation, but my homeowners don't see it, there's no value. 
They have to see, perceive the value for it to actually have value. So I want you to watch this video here where I talk about relative perceived value and how you can use that to drive more value for your homeowners and get them to buy you on value and service rather than on a cheap price. Let's talk about value in its real technical terms in terms of business applications. You know, we all have heard about value. You want to build value, you want to add value, you want to be a value creator, a value adder, all these different things. But I want to talk to you about value from a very specific uh, definition and how you can use the survey of the home and the survey of the system to increase and to add value to your homeowner. You know, you've got to think about it. Part of the, the value, a huge part of the value that you individually brings to the table is your expertise, your ability to diagnose problems your, uh, with the system, with the furnace, with the air conditioner, which whatever it is. Uh, also, your ability to solve airflow problems if you're designing a new system. So you have this ability to, to, to solve these problems for your homeowner, and that is a lot of value. But the thing is, if your homeowner doesn't see you do these things, there is no value added. In other words, if you do it uh, privately, if, if you're solving some major problem for your homeowner, and they're upstairs, then there's not really any value added. Because value is what we call relative perceived value. So let's talk about each of these components individually. Let's talk about how value is relative. What this means is that the value of something is different for everybody, and it's different for different people in different situations. So the customer can perceive, one customer might perceive a pair of shoes, for example, as very high value. Another customer may not perceive them as value at all, right? If you live in Western society, you value shoes. But if you live, you know, in the jungle somewhere, maybe you've never even seen shoes, so they don't have as much value to you. Uh, value is relative to different people in different situations. For example, if you came to me right now and you walked in our studio and you said, hey, Wally, I've got a bottle of water right here, uh, you can have it for $100. Well, I'm probably going to say, well, no, I'm not going to pay you $100. It doesn't have $100 worth of value to me because I have my own bottle of water right here next to it, right? So in that situation, uh, relative to my current situation, I'm not going to pay you $100 for that bottle of water. On the other hand, let's say I was out hiking in the desert of Arizona or Nevada, and I got lost and I was stranded in the desert for a few days. And just as I come crawling out of the desert, you're standing there with a bottle of water. And you say, hey, you can have this bottle of water here for 100 bucks, right? I'm probably gonna give you the 100 bucks if I have it on me. I'm gonna give you the 100 bucks for your bottle of water because the situation, the circumstances are so different. So you have to understand value is relative. It's different with different people and it also changes sometimes even with the same person because their circumstances change. This is really important for a simple reason. I know that a lot of times with service techs that uh, have the responsibility, of course, of going in and diagnosing problems and recommending solutions and making repairs, but we also want you to get really good at the sales part of your job, which is to identify other problems in the house and solve those problems as well. Well, I've heard many service technicians say that, you know, they'll go to a home and the homeowner will say something like, you know, every time you guys come here, you're trying to sell me something. Well, that's true because that's your job. Your job is to diagnose problems and recommend solutions, what some people interpret as sales, but in reality, you're just diagnosing problems and recommending solutions. But here's why it's important. Remember, the circumstances with each uh, homeowner, with each person can change over time. So in other words, you might go in and recommend an indoor air quality system on one call and the homeowner say, you know, I, I don't have any value. There's no value in that for me, right? Well, you might come back six months later and maybe the daughter has developed allergies. And so now all of a sudden, when you bring up indoor air quality, all of a sudden the homeowner says, oh, as a matter of fact, my, my daughter just got diagnosed with, uh, you know, allergies, you know, whatever. 
And so all of a sudden his circumstances change and because value is relative to that situation, now all of a sudden he might be more interested. So don't just assume because you offer an accessory or some product or service to a homeowner and they don't want it now, that doesn't mean they're not gonna want it in six months. Again, I don't want your water right now, but if I'm stranded in the desert, I will want your water and probably will pay whatever you want for me to get it. So understand that value is relative. It's different with people and it's different depending on the circumstances. The next part of this is perception. It's a relative perceived value. And by perceived, it means I have to know about it. I have to perceive it. I have to see it. This is why it's so important to get your homeowner involved in the survey of the system in the house. Because so much of the value that you're going to add is a reflection of what your homeowners see you doing. In other words, when they see you diagnose something, when they see you, you know, solve a, a, a ductwork problem, when they see you do something, that adds value. Remember, we talked about earlier that you know, one of the big things in, in sales we have to do is to build trust. And you build trust through a combination of high character and high competency. Well, the high character is you keeping your word, doing the things that, uh, that you say you're going to do, being honest with your, with your customer. But the competency comes from the survey of the equipment in the house. This is where people get faith and trust in your competence to solve their problems. But again, they have to see you do it because if they don't see it, they don't perceive it, it doesn't exist. So you can do something extraordinary for a homeowner, but if they don't see you do it, it has no value. You can't expect them just to know. So one of the things that's really important that you do is to get your homeowner involved with that process. Mr. and Mrs. Homeowner, I'm gonna go check out the system now and survey the house. It's really helpful if you can accompany me during this process. And just start bringing them along with you. Get them involved in the process. You won't be able to 100% of the time, but you will be in many cases. And so you just gotta play the probability and do the very best you can. I remember one time I was uh, on a service call uh, with a guy doing a ride along. And we got to the house and knocked on the door. We were just there, by the way, for a maintenance call, just a routine maintenance. Uh, the guy had a maintenance contract. We knock on the door and the technician introduces himself and says, hey, we're gonna you know, go ahead and take a look around if we find any other problems in the house. Uh, is that something you would like us to bring to your attention? He was saying us because I was with him. And the homeowner turns to him and says, if you can do it in 30 seconds, right? It's total jerk. If you can do it in 30 seconds, right? And then he turned around and walked away and left us standing in the doorway. As it turned out, the guy worked out of the house, his office was in the house, and he was very, very busy, right? So we went on about our business. We couldn't get him to go with us, but the technician went down and did the basic service. And then he looked around the house and he found some other issues with a water heater. He found a plumbing issue. He was a plumber also. He found two or three other problems. So he went down to the homeowner and he knocked on the office door and he said, sir, if we could just take just a couple of minutes, I know you're really busy. I wanna share with you a couple of the problems I found around the house that you wanted me to bring to your attention. Now I can't do it in 30 seconds, but I'll do it as quickly as I can. Homeowner says, all right, let's go. The next thing I know, we spend an hour and a half with that homeowner walking around the house finding different problems, right? An hour and a half. The same guy who said we had 30 seconds, all of a sudden, once he got interested, once he found out what some of the problems were, then he got interested, he ends up spending an hour and a half with us uh, talking with the technician about all these different problems. And he identified other problems that we overlooked that we wouldn't even have known about. He goes, oh, by the way, I'm having this problem with, you know, with this thing, with that thing. Next thing you know, we've got about $3,000 in minor HVAC and plumbing repairs on a $69 or $79 service call, right? $3,000. Because this technician took the time 
to get the homeowner involved in the process. The crazy thing was, by the time we ended up doing all the repairs, took another couple of hours or whatever, once the technician got finished and started talking to the homeowner at the very end to get the ticket paid, the homeowner starts breaking down and crying. Turns out he was on his way to a therapy appointment for psychotherapy for a dog that had just been killed by one of his other dogs. And he didn't know if he's got the, he already lost one dog because the other dog killed it. Now he may have to put down his other dog. And he was so stressed out and he ends up sharing these really, you know, detailed personal parts of his life with, the, with, with us after we spent the time. So you've got to take the time to get people involved. Even when they don't want to, just say, listen, it'll just take a second. I want to share with you a few items that I saw. Some people will jump in with you and they want to be involved, and that's great. Sometimes you got to kind of pull them kicking and screaming. But once you get them involved in the process, you'll be amazed how their attitude can change. And here's the best part. You know, we've all had the experience where you find additional repairs or additional accessories you want to talk to your homeowner about. Sometimes they can be a little bit sketchy, a little bit suspicious, like, uh, was there really a problem here? Was there really a problem there? But if they're with you when you discover the problem, you have 100% credibility. In other words, if you're diagnosing something and you see, you know, you got your amp meter on there and you see you got a high amperage on startup or something like that, you don't just have to go tell your homeowner, by the way, your motor's fixing to go out because they might be a little bit, you know, suspicious. But if they're right there with you and you're testing the startup amperage, the startup current, and then they see, you know, the spike, you could say, you see that right there? That means there's something going on inside that motor and it's drawing too much amperage. So they see it and all of a sudden when you recommend 800 bucks or 1,000 bucks for a new motor, guess what? They're going to know it's true. They, they were right there with you, right? Which, by the way, is probably going to lead to a whole new furnace. But my point is, is that there's so much credibility if you can get them involved in the diagnostic and the surveying process. And they will perceive, they will see everything you're talking about. So keep that in mind. When you're talking about value, you're talking about relative perceived value. It's relative, it's different for every customer, and it's different for every customer in every situation because customer circumstances change. And when their circumstances change, a lot of times what's important to them, what they value, can also change. And then keep in mind, it's about perception. They have to see you, get involved with your expertise, get involved with the survey of the system, the diagnostic of the system, measuring the house, because uh, them seeing that is going to build additional value if they perceive it. If you do it secretly, they're never gonna know. So keep that in mind. Get your homeowner involved in step three. Survey the system, survey the home, and get them involved in that process. Let them see you work your magic. Let them see that you have high character and you have high competency. Those things are going to translate into more yeses, higher average tickets, and of course, higher income. Now here's the beautiful part. When you sell on value rather than a cheap price, it makes it a lot easier for you to deal with the price objection at the end. One of my favorite techniques is what I call dollarizing the value, or what Tom Hopkins would call reduce it to the ridiculous. What you do is you take that price difference and reduce it down to the weekly cost, right? So the average HVAC system is going to last 20 years. A thousand bucks over 20 years works out to a dollar a week. So in this video, I want to share with you an example of how I dollarize the $8,000 price difference down to eight bucks a week. It's a very simple way to put things in perspective for your homeowner. So the only question I have for you both really uh, at this point is very simple. Will you trust me with the project? Well, and I understand you showed us the payments, mm -hmm. but what I really want to know is what's the total amount we're talking about oh, right now? Absolutely. Uh, you can see the total investment here on the core system, uh, on the Broadmoor system, is $12,612. Uh, the air filtration, the humidification system, and the ductwork we talked about comes to another $3,200. So the total on the system is $15,812.
It's about a $300 a month monthly payment. Yeah, you know, that's about double of what we discussed. It's definitely, so, gosh, definitely more than we were thinking. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, I know uh, uh, that occurred to me that originally you guys had said you were thinking six or $7,000, which we can totally do uh, with, uh, with, with a basic system. That's not really uh, a problem. Uh, but let me ask you this: When you were thinking six, seven thousand dollars on uh, on the system investment, were you thinking uh, humidification system, air filtration, uh, retrofitted ductwork, super high efficiency? Were you thinking some of those things, or were you thinking more on the lines of a basic system like you got? Yeah, I don't even think we really knew that yeah. you could solve all those problems, and right. so I, I guess we weren't really thinking about that stuff. Right. Yeah, we weren't thinking of a complete system. We didn't realize. Right. And obviously, those uh, those things are going to make a big difference. And you know, the nicer the system, the more efficient the system, the more we do. It's going to drive, obviously, the ultimate uh, investment. So uh, let, let's let's say, for example, though, that you guys were thinking around seven thousand dollars. And what we're talking, in, obviously, in, on this type of system is, is quite a bit more, uh, about eight thousand dollars more than what you guys were thinking. But but let me ask you this: Have you ever considered that over the life of a system, over you know, twenty-year life of the system? That $8,000 works out to about $8 a week over the life of the system. Do you think that the additional duct work and the comfort that would come from that, the humidification system, the air filtration, the super high efficiency, uh, the reduction in the utility bills and the, in, you know, the environmental situation, do you think those things are worth $8 a week? I hadn't really thought about it like that. Yeah, we haven't. I, know, yeah. I didn't even think about yeah. it in the long run, I guess. Yeah. You know, what I'd like to do with your permission is just to go ahead and mount up the paperwork and uh, earn, earn your trust on this project. You willing to? Let's do it. Let's try. Okay. We're, we're in. Okay, good. Now, folks, I want to remind you, if you're a member, you have access to all the archives. If you missed our first three sessions on this summer sales series, I strongly encourage you to go back and watch it because you want to make sure you put all the pieces together to capitalize on the summer opportunities. Well, folks, that's our show for this week. I want to make sure that when you're out there with all the summertime opportunity that you don't slip on the fundamentals because you want to make sure and drive that high close rate, but you want to make sure and maintain your high average ticket. Don't get in a hurry. Don't drop the price. Sell on value. That's our show for this week. We'll see you next week right here. Same bat time, same bat channel. Until then, have a great week, everybody. Bye-bye for now.